Well, good morning to you, and uh, it's a special day, as has been said already, and we're going to focus on our liberty that we have in Christ, as Pastor Walgast was sharing. It is really what's at the root and the heart of any liberty that we're going to experience in life, and we're going to be looking uh, at some key verses in Galatians chapter 5 this morning uh, as we talk about this subject of freedom in Christ. Now, of course, today's July 4th, 2021, and it was on July 4th, 1776, that our Declaration of Independence uh, was signed. Uh, Technically speaking, the Continental Congress approved and adopted the resolution to be independent on July 2nd, uh, but July 4th is when the Declaration uh, was officially adopted and began to be signed. And, of course, that document was what was going to be sent to Britain to declare that uh, no more of this. (laughs) We're moving on. We're independent now. And um, basically a statement to the king that uh, we are free from you. And, of course, that action came at a cost. Um, a matter, a matter of fact, the very last line of the Declaration of Independence uh, is worded as follows. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. And that's probably something you're familiar with, that line uh, from the document. And so they knew it was going to come at a cost, but what they were stating and, and, and speaking for the colonies at the time is uh, freedom is worth the cost. Freedom is worth standing for. Freedom is worth fighting for. Freedom is worth dying for. And one of the reasons that those kinds of things resonate with us is because they're not only true in a national uh, landscape or on the economic and governance level, they're true on a personal spiritual level. Spiritual f- f- liberty is worth fighting for. It's worth the cost. Uh, and, and that is really what the text we're looking at this morning is talking about. The book of Galatians is, is almost like a spiritual declaration of independence. When Paul wrote the epistle to the Galatians, he was ready to fight for spiritual liberty for believers. And the whole epistle is about that. And pushing back against imposing law and legalism on people for salvation. Fighting against that. No matter the cost. And for the things that Paul stood for, he took beatings. He went through shipwreck. He was stoned. Maybe died, maybe came back, maybe was raised, we don't know. But he, he, he paid a dear price for championing freedom in Christ for those that believe upon the Savior. And so when I think of Independence Day, this is where my heart turns pretty quickly because this is true and ultimate liberty that truly no one can ever infringe upon, no matter what happens in this world. So let's read again Galatians chapter 5 and just verse 1, which really is our theme verse this morning. Again, Paul writes, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. 
Stand in your liberty. Now, when we talk about freedom in Christ, the liberty that believers have, that's very multifaceted. There's different aspects. I was looking at a list where somebody had 16 things that the believer is free to do in Christ. Um, But we're going to focus on four main areas that have a lot of theological significance and a lot of impact on our daily life, and that's the points we have under liberty on the outline. And the first one, the first thing that we have to understand that we're free from in Christ is sin itself. The believer is free from sin. And just to back that up, let me read to you what Romans 6.18 says. It's another place in Scripture that's where we see our liberty in Christ stood for. Romans 6.18 says, And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And he's talking about believers there. When The moment you trust Christ, you become free from sin. There's so many things that happen the moment you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's really difficult to enumerate and explain them all. Uh, it takes a, a, it's a process even of absorbing how many things change for you when you trust in Christ. Your destiny changes. Your identity changes. Your position changes. You go from death to life. You go from a state of condemnation and sin to declared righteous in Jesus Christ. So many things happen. As soon as you trust Jesus Christ, and this is one of them, you are positionally separated from sin. It doesn't mean you don't sin, but it means you're no longer identified by sin. That's not who you are anymore in Christ. You are given Jesus Christ's righteousness, and that is what makes you uh, accepted by God because what Jesus has done for you by dying for your sins and giving you his righteousness. Now, on this uh, point, I want to turn over to John 8 for a moment and read another very beautiful passage on what it means to be free. And uh, it's John chapter 8, and it's verses 31 through 36, and I'm going to read that. And here we have uh, Christ himself talking, and he's talking to his, excuse me, um, he's talking to some of the Pharisees here. And, and telling them the truth so that they would hopefully uh, understand it and accept it. Uh, but in John 8, verse 31, uh, it says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen uh, with your father. And I read a couple extra verses there. But the son makes you free. And you can see in the context, what was he saying to those Jewish people? So what? 
if you're Abraham's descendants. You have a big problem. A three-letter word, S-I-N, sin, right? That's everybody's problem. And the Jews had to understand this too. They were never going to reap the promises of God like God intended until the sin problem could be solved once and for all. And that was only going to happen through Jesus Christ. He alone can bring true freedom from sin. And that is what is given to us the moment of salvation today. We do, we go from being a slave of sin, we we become a child of God. A son or daughter of God, if you will. And our identity changes. We're seated with Christ in the heavens. We're perfectly justified before God, meaning that we're declared righteous. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings. We're secure in our salvation, and we're destined for glory, and nothing can change that. It is who you are now. It's your position. It's your identity. We're free from sin. But then what? You've got it. It's like Jesus gives you a document, a declaration of your independence from sin. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it, with this truth? And that leads us to the second point. The believer is free from the power of sin and death. And I'm going to read what Romans 8.2 says. Romans 8.2 states, For the law of the spirit of life... In Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Free from the law of sin and death. Another way of saying that is free from the power of sin and death in your daily life. Point A, we're talking about what we call justification. Declared righteous. That's the first aspect of salvation. We generally teach three Aspects or three tenses of salvation. Okay? Justification, you are righteous in Christ. And that happens in the past. That's, you're saved from the penalty of sin. It happens at the moment of salvation. What we're talking about here on this point is the second aspect of salvation, sanctification. Life transformation empowered by the Holy Spirit in your life that you live out who you are in Christ. That is present and ongoing. It is being saved from the power of sin in our daily lives. And Jesus gives you the victory in that as well. And the third tense is what we call glorification. When we're going to be saved from the very presence of sin. We leave this world. We leave the worldliness of the world behind. We leave sin behind. We live in heaven with the Lord And we are in glory with him. That will happen in the future for us one day. But that's glorification. That is the whole story of salvation that Christ has for us. But here we focus on saved and freed from the power of sin and death in our life. Now in Romans 8.2, in that context, Paul devotes a whole chapter of explaining what it's like to be defeated in the Christian life. And this is Romans chapter 7. He establishes in the first several chapters of Romans, our issue is sin, our solution is Jesus Christ. How do you, you just put your faith in him and you become saved and righteous in Christ. And then in chapters 6, 7, and 8, he begins to show how do you live out this salvation. And in Romans 7, he talks about what happens 
when a believer in Christ tries to do the Christian life in the flesh or try to follow the law, try to do, uh, try to do good things to make God happy. That's your mentality rather than resting in who you are in Christ and letting that change your heart and motivate you toward godliness. You're trying to do it in the flesh. And you know what he talks, you know, those are, that's those statements where he says, I want to do what's good, but I don't do what's good. And, there's, and it's kind of funny to read some of the statements in Romans 7. And he talks about how it's, it's no longer I that, who does it, but sin that dwells within me. That I still have a sin issue in my life. I'm saved from its penalty, but its power is still present in my body. How do I beat that? Jesus Christ does that in and through you, through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. As you trust and rest in God, that Spirit is working. And you can begin to experience again what Paul writes in Romans 8 to, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. When you follow the Spirit, when you... Let the Spirit do His work in you. That's where your power is at. That's when you see the power of sin and death be overcome by a greater power, the power of the one who died for you. So He sets us free from the power of sin and death so we can experience victory in this life. And we're going to talk more about that as we go on. The third thing that Jesus Christ frees us from is the law. And I mean the Mosaic law, the covenant that God made with Israel, the rules and regulations, uh, ceremonial, uh, social, uh, however we want to classify them. That is not our means of godliness. We are not under that as a taskmaster. We are free from the law. Turn with me for a moment to Romans chapter 7. I was talking about Romans chapter 7, but we're going to read the first four verses here to get a hold of this idea that we're free from the law. And not only are you free from the law, you are actually dead to the law. It has no power over you. Romans 7, beginning with verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law, and he's talking about the Mosaic law, the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. You see what he does there? He uses this idea of when two people marry, it's for life. And that's a, that becomes your law, your covenant to one another. You're in marriage for life. The only, way, the only thing that breaks that is death. He says, so it is for a person in the law. It's like you're married to the law. It, it is the standard by which you will be judged. And he says the only way to be free from that is to die from that. And that's what happens to the believer. When you trust in Jesus Christ, his death becomes your death. 
You're identified in his death. You die to the very law of Moses. The law of Moses says, you know what the law of Moses says to everybody? It says guilty, 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 death, death, death. That's what it says. That's why the law exists. Because God needed to show the world we've got sin. That's our biggest issue. And we deserve death. The wages of sin is death. The law proves it over and over and over and over again through thousands of years of history of the nation of Israel. It proves this point. It can't give you new life. It can't bring true redemption and salvation. It can only condemn because, because it's a standard of righteousness. And when you go up to it, all you find is you're not righteous. You deserve to die. And Jesus says, I die for you. His death becomes your death. You die to the law in Christ. The law no longer has power over you. The law can no longer condemn you. The law is not going to determine whether you're righteous or not. Jesus Christ has already determined that for you. You're free from the law. So this is why the New Testament scripture in Paul's epistles are so strong against, don't go back to the law. The law is not a path of victory. The law does not give power to live victorious on this world. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And that's what he does for us. S. Lewis Johnson once wrote the following. One of the most serious problems facing the Orthodox Church today is the problem of legalism. One of the most serious problems facing the church in Paul's day was the problem of legalism. And every day it's the same. Legalism wrenches the joy of the Lord from the Christian believer. And with the joy of the Lord goes his power for vital worship and vibrant service. Nothing is left but cramped, somber, dull, and listless profession. Amen. <laughs> the truth is betrayed and the glorious name of the Lord becomes a synonym for a gloomy killjoy. The Christian under law is miserable, is a miserable parody of the real thing. The law cannot give you the power to live a godly transformed life, victorious over sin. The law just looks at you and says, you're guilty, you're condemned, you're not righteous enough. Even one little jot or tittle, it's all it takes, you're condemned. And that's what the law did. But Jesus Christ came and he paid that penalty that we all deserved. So we're free from sin, we're free from the power of sin and death, we're freed from the law. And one more thing that I think it's really imperative to understand, and it kind of connects with the quote I just read, because generally speaking, legalism in the church uh, is usually promoted by individuals. It usually wouldn't be a problem if individuals would let go of it and understand their liberty in Christ. But the believer is free from men. 1 Corinthians 7.23, it's an interesting phrase that Paul says there. He talks in that chapter about just let God use you where you're at. If you were a slave at the time, don't worry about it. God can use you there. If you're a freed man, hey, God can use you. Don't, be, don't sit and compare and worry about what everybody else is doing and what you don't have, what you do have. Let God use you where you're at. He tells the Corinthians this. And the way he says it in 1 Corinthians 7.23 is like this. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. 
When he says you're bought at a price, it means God. You belong to God. God is your Lord and your master. Nobody else. Nobody else can tell you what you ought to be doing and how you should live. He. It must come from the Lord. And, he, and this is something that he needed to really explain to the Corinthians because they had all these different issues as we've been going through that book. They needed to understand who they belonged to. They belonged to the Lord. And they needed to find their source of life and identity in him. And what he tells the Corinthians there, don't let people drive you, coerce you, compel you into things that the Lord has not called you to. And that goes on so much, even in the professing church, where so many Christians, instead of grace bursting forth in their heart and they want to serve people, instead they have the shackles of an imposed law weighting them down, and it's a gloomy killjoy. Of a Christian life. Guilt or manipulation from others is unnecessary in the Christian life. It is, in fact, harmful to what the Spirit does in people's lives because it, all it does is create another flesh based performance system to take the place of the Mosaic law. We got rid of Moses' law, let me give you my law. And that's what it does. And too many Christians have maybe even unconsciously become slaves of men. We become men followers. We start looking, what does this person say to do? Now, some people are very forceful. Paul dealt with, in his time, what we call Judaizers. They were Jewish people. And their whole life, you know, circumcision was a necessary requirement to be the people of God. It showed, I am one of the people of God. And so when Paul came along, was given the gospel of the grace of God. Now you can be saved by Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. You don't need Moses' law. You don't need circumcision. You don't need it. You just need to believe and accept Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Yet these Judaizers would, would come and say, no, you need to be circumcised. You need to be circumcised to be saved. That's what, that's what God said to Abraham. You need to be circumcised. Paul comes through liberating people with the gospel, and then these guys come through and say, nope, circumcision, circumcision. Putting them back in shackles. That's what Galatians is answering, by the way, that whole issue. Don't become slaves of men. Somebody says something to you, go to Scripture. What does your Lord say? What does your Lord say about how the Christian life works? About what motivates you to live godly? What's it say in Titus? You want to live godly? How do you get to godliness? Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness, right? Not rules and regulating, you know, people's version of what a Christian is. Let the Lord speak to your heart through his word. See what grace is all about. That unshackles your heart. Max Lucado writes, legalism has no pity on people. Legalism makes my opinion your burden, makes my opinion your boundary, makes my opinion your obligation. Paul says, we're not under law, we're under grace. That's where we all need to stand. Be a champion of grace. Right, Pastor Lynn? (laughs) That's our BBI uh, new uh, promotional kind of motto, but we, we love that. It's a true motto. 
I'm a champion of grace. Be a champion of grace. That's what we're called to be as believers. We want to champion grace, not law, not legalism, not guilt, fear, manipulation. Those, Those are not good taskmasters. So Paul, he says in Galatians 5, stand fast. He's planting his feet firmly here. I'm not going to move. I'm not going to run away from the fight. I'm going to continue to champion grace, champion champion freedom in Christ, liberty in Christ, because that's the only thing that's going to produce the Christian life, by the way. It's It's the only way to be saved is through the grace of God and salvation. So we're not going to let that get shackled down with everybody else's version of Christianity. And what he says in Galatians 5, and we're going to go back to Galatians 5, and we're not going to be able to cover the whole chapter. If you read the whole chapter, you see that he's pushing back against circumcision. We've talked about that a little bit. But look what he says in verse 13. Look where liberty leads you. What you become when you're free in Christ. He says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we see in in the context, Paul takes us from liberty to love. We also need to champion this. What does it mean to really love someone? To let the love of Christ fill my heart so I love others. He's talking to this church, these groups, this group of believers here, and legalism had come in. So you've got to get circumcised. You need to do this. You need to do ABC. And he talks about this. He's correcting this. And you know what that produced in them? They were, well, verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. What kind of Christians was legalism producing in the Galatian church? They were becoming devourers of one another. Wow, that's a great testimony, right? (laughs) They're eating each other over there. Let's go join. (laughs) First they circumcise you, then they crucify you (laughs) over there, sounds like. That's a great church. That's that's quite a stringent membership requirement, by the way, isn't it? Anyway, look what it created in them. And that's what Paul understood. That's all that that does. Anything that relies on the power of the flesh, which is what legalism does, leaves you shackled to the flesh in your daily life. Instead, love compels us to serve others. Love wakens your heart, changes your heart. The reality of what Christ has done for you shapes you. So free from the compulsions of sin, the law, and other people's dictates, the believer is free to experience the love of God in Jesus Christ And that compels us to serve others. Grace does a work in your heart. God's love for us produces love for others. So liberty sets us free. Now we are free to serve God in this world. Free to be his ambassadors. Free to manifest grace, to manifest love, to manifest the fruits of the spirit to others. Liberty in Christ leads to holiness and goodness in life. It doesn't lead to license, as some people think, that if you take away the shackles, people are going to think they can do whatever they want to do. No, 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 no. That's where love comes in. Liberty, the freedom we have in Christ, and love that God produces, that's, that's what brings harmony to the Christian life. 
It's my love for God and others that I don't want to be part of what the world's doing. Not because somebody has to drag me kicking and screaming from it, but because of what God does in my heart. I mean, if you, if you think that's not true, then what did the law do for Israel? God already showed that it doesn't work through thousands of years of history in the Old Testament. It doesn't work. It has to be from the heart. It has to be internal. It has to be from God's spirit to your spirit. That's how Christianity works. That's what so many miss. They talk about Christianity, but really few understand true biblical Christianity. A relationship with God the Son that sets us free as we're talking and frees our heart to experience his love and share his love for others. And it's not only that it compels us to serve others, but you know, you look at verse 14. Love fulfills the intent of the law. Here's another facet of this idea. You're not under the law, you're under grace. But it doesn't mean you go around doing the wrong things. There's a lot in the Mosaic law that's good, right? Thou shalt not kill. Well, I think we should probably still do that, right? We should probably not just jettison that rule. But no, but what's the motivation for not killing people? <laughs> Love. What's the motivation for honoring your parents? Fear of getting stoned? No, love for your parents. See, the motivation shifts to love. And then you don't need the law saying, do this, do this, do this, don't do that. No, love compels you. It motivates you to serve others. That was what the law was enshrining. What morality looks like when, when you have love in your heart. Even Jesus talked about this. when they, when they Who was it that came to him and they said, what's the greatest commandment? Which one of the ten? And he's like, well, the, first, the greatest commandment is, Love God with all your heart. And he says the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, that's not even part of the, that's not really even the Ten Commandments. They were like, which one of the ten? He's like, well, actually, it's the preamble to the ten, love God, love others. The Ten Commandments just protect that. The Ten Commandments just make you do it when you don't want to do it, basically. You know, you're going to, you're going to, it's like, you know, maybe you tell your kids that sometimes. You're going to get along whether you like it or not, you know. That kind of mentality, it doesn't work, though. It doesn't produce fruit. It doesn't work for long. Love fulfills the intent of the law. Love does the good moral things that the law was meant to enforce. But instead of external coercion, instead of being pushed into it, love pulls you into it. You want to serve others. You want to be a blessing to others. Let me give you an example from the scripture of this principle at work. What love does in a person's heart, even when the shackles have been loosed on them. You remember Paul and Silas, and actually Timothy and Luke were with them. And the book of Acts records uh, that these men go to a place called Philippi, okay, which is in what we would call uh, modern-day Greece. They go to Philippi. You can read about this in Acts chapter 16. They go to Philippi. Paul, Paul does this really horrible thing and frees this young girl from a demon, <laughs> right? Really bad thing. Her, her demon possession let her like tell fortunes and let her owners make money. She was a slave girl, by the way. Paul set her free from that demon. He cast out the demon. And her owners got mad because their prophet was gone. And they had him taken to prison. They had Paul and Silas beaten for that, put in the stocks in a prison in Philippi. Who remembers what Paul and Silas did there? 
How long does the Bible say they complained about it? doesn't say that. How long does it say they thought about maybe a career change? doesn't say that. What does it say? At midnight, they were singing and they were praying. And you know what the Spirit was doing? The Spirit was using that to touch the hearts of the prisoners. They were in the stocks, singing and praying. And you know what God did with that? He said, I'm going to turn this into a church. (laughs) And there was a church in Philippi because of this. Now what happened was, they're in the stocks, they're singing and praying. And as the Bible says, an earthquake happened. Boom. And the doors all open, their stocks pop open, everybody's shackles are falling off. Now, I think, what would I do in this situation? If I'm imprisoned against my will wrongfully, and I know I'm there wrongfully, and the door burst open, what's going to be my inclination probably? I'm getting out of here. (laughs) I'm free in Christ, baby. I'm out of here. (laughs) But wait, wait, wait. When the door is open, what happened? Nobody ran away. Nobody ran. Why? Why did nobody run? Well, the Bible says... The Philippian jailer come. He, he was asleep. He says he wakes up. He sees the doors open. And he draws his sword because he's committing suicide. Because he knows, I let these guys get away. And I'm going to be probably tortured to death. So I'm, in, I'm ending it my way. And just before he takes his own life, Paul says, do yourself no harm. We're all here. Paul saves that man in the, in the immediate place and time from his own suicide. And, and, and God had been doing a work. No doubt the Philippian jailer had heard the testimony of Paul and Silas, probably had heard them singing at times when he fell asleep and woke up, and you know, he thought, that's curtains for me. And Paul says, don't. And what does that Philippian jailer do? He goes up to Paul, he falls down, and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul tells him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And he believed it, and he was saved. And that Philippian jailer took him home and washed his stripes, And it doesn't tell us what happened to the prisoners. But, you know, none of those other prisoners left either. And that really strongly hints to me that maybe they decided this this is worth sticking around. This Jesus Christ that these guys are talking about, singing about, praying about. You know, number one, we never know how God is going to use our circumstances in this life. You know, we get into that complaining like, oh, this can't be God's best for me. It's not what I want. These guys are in a prison in stocks and all they can do is sing and pray. And God says, I'm going to turn this into a church. But the other thing is, is what kept Paul and Silas there? They had liberty, but they also had love. And they were driven by compassion for people, the prisoners, the jailer. They didn't want to just run off. They wanted these guys to be saved. They wanted these guys to experience freedom in Christ and the love that that can bring. That's a perfect example of how liberty and love exist in perfect harmony for the Christian in Jesus Christ. And in our text, Galatians 5, Paul lays the case for liberty. He shows how that can bring about love in the Christian life. It frees us to love. And then he gets into the victory of the Christian life. Life in the Spirit. Walk after the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Liberty gives you opportunity for love, which leads to the best life possible. A life in the Spirit. This chapter ends with life. 
when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit victorious over the works of the flesh in your heart. So this, uh, let's, let's look at a couple of passages here. Again, Galatians 5.16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you're worried about the flesh beating you or somehow taking over your Christian life, this is where the answer is. You walk in the Spirit. Let love be your compelling force. Walk after the Spirit. What does the law do to the flesh? It just stirs it up. You know, I'm allergic to cats. And it really doesn't matter what I do. If I'm around cats long enough, I'm going to start getting watery eyes. I'm going to start sniffling and sneezing. And somehow we own five cats at my house. And somehow those cats are inside a lot of times. And no matter how hard I fight the flesh, <laughs> I mean, I could take some Claritin maybe and have some, some temporary victory, but I don't. Because I'm a man, I tough it out. <laughs> but I, it doesn't matter how hard I try, if I bring those cats close, sooner or later I'm starting to sniffle and sneeze and, and it's stirring up my allergies. And that's exactly how the law works with the flesh. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You may, it may look like you're having victory today, but I'm going to tell you, sooner or later, you're going to have sort of an allergic reaction to the law. Your flesh is going to be stirred up. And you're going to fail miserably. And you're going to have to make a decision. Do I scrape myself up again and try, try, try again? Or do I maybe rethink my approach to the Christian life? been plenty of testimonies down that line. It doesn't work because your flesh is the problem. The law is not the problem. The law is holy and good. It reflects the character of God. But the problem is, you're not like God in your flesh. You don't have any holiness, any righteousness. Jesus saves you from that. He gives you a new identity. He gives you the power to live victoriously. The law didn't do that, so you don't go back under the law. Instead, we can experience the life-transforming fruit of the Spirit. Look at Galatians 5.22, and look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit, not the law, not circumcision, not what everybody else is saying, the fruit of the Spirit is, and not your fruit, not what you mustered up, not what you tried really hard, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. You can stop right there. The world doesn't have any of this. We've already, we've way beyond, the, as soon as you say love, you've left the world behind, right? Joy, peace, long-suffering. Like when people put you in prison wrongly and you sing at midnight, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And, and faithfulness could be your faith in God, but I think it's probably more about are you a dependable person when people when you say you're there, you're there? When you say I'm going to be there at this time, are you there at that time? Are you faithful? Are you reliable? Are you dependable? Gentleness, self-control. And he says... Against such, there is no law, which is kind of an ironic thing. It's like, this is not, the law didn't produce this. This is what the law wants. It wants you to have all these things, but the law can't produce it. Only the Spirit of God can produce this in your life when you walk after the Spirit, when you walk by faith, when you trust God's Word over everything the world's saying and doing. And that is how you have victory in the Christian life. And he gives you this 
well, you want to say, this measuring stick here in Galatians 5, before he gets to the fruit of the Spirit, he talks about the works of the flesh. That's in verses 19 and 21. He says, the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Which I tell you beforehand, and I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's what your flesh does. So anytime you're going to be dependent on your flesh, these little guys are going to creep up. And you may say, well, I'm no adulterer, but maybe there's that envy in there somewhere, right? There's still that flesh. You say, well, I don't do sorcery. Yeah, maybe you have a little bit of contention stirred up between you and your brother in Christ, though, right? We weigh, we weigh ourselves, right? I'm no idolater. I just don't like people. <laughs> that's the flesh. And, that's, and this, is a, this is a gut check on when you do things. What's your motivation? What's your motivation? Flesh or spirit? And to me, the Christian life is pretty simple. When we do anything, if I understand Galatians 5 correctly, either the spirit or the flesh is responsible. I don't know what any middle ground is. It's either me and it's going to be fleshly, or it's either I'm trusting him, and it's him, and it's the fruit of the Spirit. And that's the battle of the Christian life. That's what he's talking about here. He says they fight against each other. They lust against each other. It's when you trust in God and what God's doing, trust in his word, you let the Spirit work, that's when victory comes in. But you can't get here if you don't know what freedom in Christ means, and you don't understand love. If you don't have those in harmony, you don't really get to this point in Galatians 5. One leads to the other. Life in the Spirit comes through a heart set free. When we talk about these fruits of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, long, they get people's attention, just like the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas singing, praying, it got his attention because they were manifesting the fruit of the Spirit in their joy and their peace in these very dark circumstances. Something's different here. Something is different there. There was a supernatural work right there. It wasn't a miracle like raising a dead person, but it is a miracle to change somebody's heart and these fruits come out in your life. That's the miracle God does on a daily basis today through his grace. And it's like when you manifest these fruits of the Spirit, you know what that is to the world? That is your fireworks. Right? You're going to watch fireworks this weekend, right? And you wait till night, and the background is dark. And a bursting up over the dark sky, streams of red and blue and yellow and burst of sparkles. All these illuminations, right? And you, ooh, ah, and you enjoy that. And that's exactly what takes place on the spiritual paces in your life. You're in a dark world. Everybody you meet is a sinner, Guess what? That's going to make life difficult for you. Okay? The world is a dark place. But you have the opportunity to let the fruit of the Spirit burst out of your life like fireworks. So when people see love, boom, whoa, joy, pop, wow, right? Right? Like Paul in Philippi, at night, at midnight, everything was dark. But the Philippian jailer saw a light in those guys' hearts. Life in the Spirit comes through a heart set free. 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
Again, we circle back to liberty here and the connection with the Spirit. The Spirit indwells in you. He lives in you. You're free. And He wants to lead you and guide you. And you walk after Him and have this victorious Christian life. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that verse is liberty, is love, is the Spirit working. It gives me new life. Jesus' very life in and through me. If we leave behind our liberty in Christ, we lose all of this as a Christian. You will be living in the gloomy, killjoy Christian life. You will wrestle with insecurities about what everybody else says you should be doing. When instead you can be resting in who Jesus Christ has made you, in the liberty he has given you, in the love he has called you to, and walk after his spirit. We started with the reminder that the Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4, 1776. One of the reasons they wanted that document, uh, they got it out, they wanted it to circulate. They wanted everybody to hear about it, what we were doing together. And on July 9th, five days later, General George Washington, who had received a copy, had it read to his troops in New York. It's interesting because these guys, this was the... This was the front line of freedom's cause, this ragtag continental army and General George Washington leading it, and they never had enough shoes or clothes or bullets or muskets. And when you read about the beginning of the Revolutionary War, it's not real glorious. We were mainly on the run. It was mainly just running from one town to the other and and just almost kind of like a distraction (laughs) until we can get more resources, until we can muster up enough, enough punch to hit them back kind of a thing. But he had it read to his troops. And what that did was that encouraged those troops because it reminded them, what are we fighting for? It's worth it. Jesus Christ is worth it. Whatever the cost is in our life, whatever he calls us to is worth it. Whatever persecution, whatever struggle, whatever hardship that brings, he is worth it. And those men were reminded that this battle they were in was worth fighting. Galatians 5.1 says, stand fast in the liberty. And that word stand fast means to put your stake in the ground. I stand here. And when those men heard the Declaration of Independence, that renewed in their heart the idea, we stand here for liberty. It motivated them. It kept them going. A few months later, they had some pretty significant victories in that struggle. And that's the same for us. If we will stay committed to liberty in Christ, then and only then, but you can then experience victory in the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word and its power because it's your power, Lord. And may it take shape and root in our hearts that we do continue to put our stake in liberty in Jesus Christ. And let that be compelled by love for others so that your fruit, your fruit of the Spirit, becomes manifest in our lives. That you can use us in glorious and mighty ways, Father, but according to your will, Lord. 
We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.